So today I want to get started with something that you've been waiting for for a while. And this is going to be a deep dive that is going to take us quite a while to really understand and get through. And today we're starting the process of talking about NDEs, near-death experiences. I know so many of you in this class have asked for it. And so I'm hoping that we're going to do a proper deep dive into NDEs. So let's talk about an NDE. A near-death experience is defined as an event in which an individual has clinically died and somehow survives to tell the tale of what they encountered on the threshold of life and death. Now, it's important when we're going to start talking about near-death experiences, it's important that these experiences are near-death, not after-death experiences. We don't have after-death experiences that we can come back and tell the tale. So by definition, death within Kabbalah and within Jewish law means the point of no return. So those, if we know someone who's gone through an experience like this, people have gone through these experiences, were in the process of dying, but did not technically die, especially with regards to Jewish law and Kabbalah. What precisely constitutes death and what exactly are the criteria for declaring a person dead are questions that are greatly debated, greatly debated. If you want to understand what rabbis have to deal with, with regards to to, to various elements of, of end-of-life issues, these are highly, highly debated because the Jewish view and the more scientific view are not always in line. So nowadays, in most modern societies, the EEG, the EEG is the, you know what the EEG is, what is it called, the electro-something uh, graph. Encephalogram. Thank you. I knew Jill would know that. So the EEG is an instrument that amplifies and records even the minutest of the brain's electrical activity. And it's used today in our world to monitor and to identify the point of death. Death, from a scientific perspective, is established when the machine shows a flat line. Yet, I'm giving a little caveat here. As is evidenced by a case where someone was declared clinically dead, but was later revived or resuscitated, it's clear that this quantifiable measurement of brain activity does not completely define the point of death. Because, indeed, the body was not completely lifeless to the point of no return. In fact, some people, when they experience hypothermia, which is a dramatic lowering of the body temperature, can sometimes show no sign of brainwave activity whatsoever until later on when they are warmed back up and they move to a normal functioning temperature. So 
the way that the world or society defines death and the way that we define death may be a little different. So while the actual phrase near-death experience or NDE is a relatively modern term, the phenomenon itself has been reported throughout the ages. We have reports of such experiences that date back thousands of years. There are cave paintings, cave paintings that were found in Europe, such as France, I think some found in Spain, if I remember, that depict scenes of the afterlife. These images, and you can look them up online, appear strikingly similar to modern-day cases, documented cases of NDEs. The earliest Western and secular description of a near-death experience is found in Plato's The Republic, a story that Plato tells of a Greek soldier by the name of Er, who was declared dead when, in fact, he was not dead. And in the in the native in in, in, in this narrative, Er is killed, and just as he's about to be cremated. He awakens and tells the story of leaving his body and traveling with others in an otherworldly reality where he was to be judged. So we can see that this is not a modern phenomenon. This is something that's been going on. I mean, Plato was pretty far back. In the modern era, these occurrences and the reporting of these types of events, it's quite widespread. I, I hear, I have heard about it quite a bit. And according to some recent polls that I was looking up yesterday in the, in the United States alone, it's an estimated that 13 million people have reported that they've gone through some kind of near-death experience. Near-death experiences appear to have no relationship with one's religious affiliation, with a lack of religious affiliation, with a connection to a particular culture or tradition. The frequency of these experiences is proportionately the same across cultures, occurring independent of whether one is devout, one is spiritual, one is agnostic, atheist, materialistic, Age, race, gender, social status. And also it seems, according to the study that I saw, that it makes no difference in a person's susceptibility to such experiences. Many people who report experiencing near-death experiences describe similar encounters. And there are many different ways of dividing these experiences. What I'm going to do over the course of the next few weeks, starting today, is I'm going to divide them into 10 progressive stages. And we're going to go through each of these stages, try to understand each of them. And as long as it takes us to understand them, that's how long it'll take us. 
<clears throat> so let's get started. The first stage, the individual may experience a sense of not being amongst the living. Many of people who have experienced that first stage of a near-death experience have actually overheard people saying that they're dead. In stage two, when the person enters a state of extreme tranquility, just giving you an overview now, and peace accompanied by the absence of pain or anguish. The person, it could be the person was in chronic pain and all of a sudden they don't feel it anymore. That's stage two. Stage three. So stage one, they just not among, they just realize they're not amongst the living. Stage two, they enter a, a state of tranquility. Stage three, they can begin to hear uncomfortable noise. They've it's been described as either a buzzing or a hissing type of sound. The fourth stage is an awareness of the process of separation and divestment from the body. Consciousness seems to separate from the body in that stage and and appears to acquire the ability to perceive one's surroundings without the meditation of senses. Without that that tranquil the, the, the tranquilness of senses. Although their consciousness lacks a physical form, the person the person still feels implicitly and explicitly as if they're within a kind of uh, phantom body. And there is, in fact, at this point, still some form of body just not one that's corporeal or or physical. Some describe this body as an energy field. I've seen uh, narratives of a cloud, a form of light, a swirl of colors. The body they assume is felt to be comprised of something less dense than physical matter. It's one that can go through the rocks and travel instantaneously to great distances. Imagination really appears real during this stage. Being in this body, quote unquote, the person has an expanded awareness of everything around and everything within them. Yet, They'll describe that it appears that no one else is able to notice them. This is the fourth stage. The fifth stage, the person senses the self passing through dark passageways, a tunnel of sorts. In the sixth stage, 
they encounter ethereal identities or maybe various entities that when they contemplate or reflect on them, they seem quite familiar, yet distance. At times, they're family members. Or they could be previously deceased friends. And it appears during the sixth stage that these souls have come to help them, the person. Angelic figures may also make an appearance at this point. All these entities appear to be enveloped in a kind of glowing, radiant light. Soon after the seventh stage, a person can experience an encounter with a being of light, which some have said to be God, others have said to be some kind of celestial being. And this light is one that emanates powerful and unconditional vibrations of infinite love. This is how it's been described. At some point in the eighth stage, again, it's not always linear. They don't always go in order, but I'm going to make them linear for you for the purpose of study. So in this fifth stage, sorry, in this eighth stage, the person experiences a total life review, resulting in a profound sense of self-evaluation. It's not a total recall of all the details of life in a systematic or an orderly fashion. Rather, it's a, it's a panoramic and instantaneous review of their life, like seeing one's entire life at the same time. Additionally, even the emotions and feelings associated with a particular moment being recalled and relived and re-experienced. It's a passionate and experiential recollection of life. Following this stage of recollection, of evaluation, the person's experience shifts subtly away from life as it was lived, as it was lived and experienced within the confines of space and time. And the ninth stage is characterized by a strong sense of timelessness or even spacelessness. The notion of compression or restriction has no bearing on the experience. There is at this stage a kind of uh, free-flowing or free-floating feeling that follows the reliving of a person's life narrative. Ultimately, at the 10th stage, the person comes to a type of barrier, a door. Some say that it's a bridge or something like that, which apparently separates life in this world from life in the next. And this is the overall picture and process of a near-death experience as it's been collected and described by thousands of people throughout the ages, throughout the globe. To be sure, not every person 
that reports going through an NDE encounters all of the stages. And not all of them are going to encounter them in the same sequential order. Some experiences one or two of the events or others more. It's not a, a rigid model per se, but it's more like a, a general template. It also appears that how deep into the experience a person travels depends on whether the person experienced a clinical death, and if so, for how long they experienced that clinical death. The longer the person was assumed to be dead, the deeper and further they seemed to travel. Within this general subject, there's also something that's called, we have to talk about, which is an empathetic NDE. An empathetic NDE is where a person who's close to someone who's nearing death senses a separation from their own body and of accompanying their loved one's soul on the journey into the afterlife. For some people, this manifests itself as an experience of becoming aware of the all-embracing and loving light, while there are others who speak of Sensing the presence of deceased relatives and friends who come to greet the soul who's drifting away. Those are basically the the 10 steps. Questions, comments, thoughts. If I may, I have experienced, well, not accompanying the loved one in the afterlife but when when my mother's uh, um, <coughs> companion passed away um, I have experienced communication with him while he was going and he wasn't uh, and he wasn't conscious actually he was believe it or not speaking to me and and uh, he asked me to ask my mom to release him. So I was able to speak to my mom and tell her to allow him to go. And and then uh, after he passed, I, I I could somewhat see him. I was much younger. I was 27, maybe. I was able to feel his presence and until after his burial. And like the, the when we went for the Shiva on the first day, to me, he was still there. And then all of a sudden, he was gone. Wow. It was, uh, I was telling my, my mom, he's here. He's actually laughing. He's here. He's enjoying this. He's enjoying the company somewhat. And then at some point, he wasn't there anymore. That's my comment. (laughs) I have no other comment. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? 
<laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the Love Rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. I have something similar. I had an uncle who had passed. And it was many weeks after a stroke or something that he lay in bed and he looked like he was having trouble breathing. They first put oxygen on and a CPAP because it was more comfortable than something else. And my cousin, who was in the room and pacing and a doc, you know, as people in family normally would, goes, oh, he's gone. He's just, you know, let's just let him go, give him morphine, let him go peacefully and whatever until my other cousins came in from out of town. And then all of a sudden there was a recognition in the eyes. And my woman cousin says, he's not dead, he's still here. He can hear me, look at his eye contact. And then the cousin who had been there the whole time pacing back and forth, who said, let's just let him go said, no, he's not, he's... But then he realized there was some recognition. So this, I don't think he had an NDE because he never came back and lived to tell about it. He was in his 90s. But there was definitely a shift of consciousness. And when you talked about the empathetic NDE, I don't know if it took a woman's touch or the baby daughter who was in her 40s or 50s, but she was still the baby. You know, I don't know if it took that kind of communication and if their souls connected at that time. I don't know. It was really, it was strange. Like you said, Alessandra, but I didn't feel any of that. I observed watching them and the interaction. I think one of the things is you can't be sitting and swearing and, you know, all of this negative stuff in a room of somebody who is passing because I believe they hear it. And I believe that it agitates them. And I think the loving flow of the out-of-town daughters and ruffling pillows and trying to make comfort was really settling for the person going. It was, it was a very interesting process, that part. But we never got to hear what phases. But I have heard of people who talk to somebody because they're still commutative and they're talking about a dead wife or a dead somebody. Oh, you know, Susie or, oh, you know, Ella, you know, I, I see you. And I think that is our relatives or friends getting together or rally for what's next so that there's a comfortable transition. I at least want to believe that, whether it's true or not, it's comforting. Joe, please. Rabbi, I have a question about, you know, said there's a point where there's like a life review evaluating. When people come back from that, when they say they've experienced it, if they maybe not made such good choices in their life, do they come back with this like 
man, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> or like, is that, you know, all the feelings around that? Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't affect them. <laughs> <We're>, yeah. <laughs> some there, we all know those people who are dense. Yeah. But uh, yes, very often, uh, I. it's funny because that's generally what I will hear as a rabbi more than anything else, because all of a sudden they'll have this existential crisis and they're going to want to talk to a rabbi. Yeah. Like the, who am I really? Like what am, who I, am I really? And what yeah. am I doing? And I need to make a huge life change. I had a situation a number of years ago and the person was in their thirties and they were making some very poor choices. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was called into a particular ward and, and, you know, that person just, just like, I have to change my life. Unfortunately, it's not always that easy, right? If somebody's going to be an addict or someone who, uh, right. it's, there are other factors that don't always, uh, mental health issues that don't always allow a person to make the change of easy, but yes, there's definitely, mm -hmm. um, from what I've seen in, from a, from, from a rabbi's perspective, a, a huge existential crisis and a need to like, I need to change my life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Some people do. There are people who make full 180 changes in their lives, um, become more spiritual, become more connected. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'd like to share something. Um, it's really fresh for me being in this state and I experienced something um, actually over the last week since my dad died. It's, it's really hard to put perfectly into words, <clears throat> but it's, it's been very different than the other deaths that have been in the field lately. I've lost quite a few people <laughs> lately. Um, with something about a parent, it's different. And what I've experienced is as the days have passed since his death, it's it, the only way I'm going to use kind of sciencey terms, but it's not that. It's almost like I'm feeling the genetic material of my paternal side kind of leave my, my blood in a way. But, you know, but in a spiritual way, um, there's just something about a parent leaving that I can feel it physically. And um, Rabbi, I, I was thinking a lot about you and I have a question. How, what is it like to be around so much death, meaning grieving families, people in, in, crises that have NDEs like can you tell me how do you navigate that there's uh there's no answer to that the, the best way I mean the best way to navigate I would say this and then it starts you start thinking about the best way to navigate anything in life is to be there 100 percent and when you're there you're there and then when you're not, you're not. And I think that it's really, really difficult because maybe somebody in the medical field, they learn how to separate. But as a rabbi, or if you're not 
in the medical field, you don't learn how to separate. And and I've said this before, but I don't want to learn how to separate. I want to be there. So the only thing I can do is be there 100%. And then hopefully that connection and that that experience can be can be experienced during that time. And then hopefully, and doesn't always happen, it does affect. But then when I leave, I can, you know, leave it there and not take it with me, which is not always easy. But that would be my less than 30 second answer. Thank you. Any any other questions? Right. I didn't hear what you said after stage four. Uh, the last thing I heard was the words about great distance or imagination. I don't know what that was or what it was about. Um, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll be on the recording. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go to uh, because our, our time is. Uh, so this is just so you know this is just an overview we are going to go step by step through each and every process over the next weeks i'm assuming i don't know i don't want to say how many weeks it'll take if it takes us 10 weeks because it takes us one week for each stage let it be if it takes us 20 weeks because we need two weeks for each stage let it be so this is just an overview of ndes we have not even Let's say we've just barely touched the surface at this point, just barely. With that, Cheryl, yeah. And these stages, and I know you said they're not linear, but you were going to make them linear for us. Just, and not everybody who's passing obviously comes out the other end to experience and talk about it. But does it have anything to do with the length of time that they're? Yes. Out of body space to experience more of these. I mean, we all kind of hear people go into the light and yet light on your linear thing was way down. First, they were passing through a dark tunnel. I don't ever remember hearing or reading about that. And I've read many people's books who had these experiences and I found them fascinating. So I wanted to hear the Jewish perspective. Per se, but time has something to do with all of these levels, right? Our time. No, no question. No question that there is an association between the amount of time the person was pronounced dead and their and their NDEs. No question. Okay. Thanks. Well, with that, Cheryl, why don't you uh start our nugget today? Oh boy. So many good things. Um, I'll probably just piggyback on the NDEs because it fascinates me that that could happen to somebody and actually come out of that and share their experience. And first glance, I think most of us would say, oh, you're nuts. (laughs) That's crazy. That didn't happen. I met Jesus or I met so-and-so, you know, in such and such a beautiful garden. And we say that's crazy. And yet, as you said, Rabbi, millions of people have had these experiences. So 
must not be so crazy. A lot of people share similarities. I think it's comforting. I like it. Thank you for doing whatever dive you did. Can't wait to go deeper. And I will pass the baton to Jill. You want something? Thank you. Yeah. I, well, I've got to leave early, so I just oh, wanted okay. to, to jump in. Thanks, Cheryl. Um, yeah, this. I'm really glad we're doing this. And as I, the question I asked about kind of the life review, I find it interesting because if it, if I can't, you know, somehow figure out how this is going to affect my life right now as it is, you know, what's the points? So to try when I have made a misstep or a mistake to do better next time. And, you know, I had a little misstep yesterday and something, and I find I beat myself up so much for it because why didn't I respond differently? So it's just interesting to try to do better. And I do. The do better doesn't, isn't as loud as when I've made an error. And so just working on that too. So hopefully when I come to that life review, <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling a bit. So thanks. I'll pass to Alessandra. I'm going to say goodbye. I've got to go today. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Jill. <clears throat> Actually, uh, I had uh, a terrible uh, car crash in Israel in 2008 where people they, they honestly thought they would find a dead person in the car. It was uh, folded in two. I, I hit a tree and everything. And, and all I remember was the tree getting close to my face and, and the light going off. So I, and, and when I woke, when I came back to myself, nobody knows how long after I hit the tree, a, I experienced some cloud state where I wasn't sure if I was still in the physical world or in, in a different one. But then, you know, with, with humor, I comforted myself saying, well, you, you haven't reviewed your whole life, so you didn't have <laughs> a near-death experience. But let me tell you, when the light shuts off the way it did for me, it, it, it's already a significant uh, experience uh, I, I was lucky to walk out of that car and and nevertheless so it wasn't probably that but it kind of uh, it puts things into perspective uh, rabbi when you say people come to you and and they're like am i a terrible person whatever me my reaction was i could have been dead and and i'm still alive and i have to make the most of it um and and uh, so that was the, the, my little story about that. But uh, um, I, I love the fact that we are a soul. And yet, while, you know, it's the same soul, it's still not the same soul after we've experienced life. We do take away, like we do take away from this class every week. We do have takeaways, which I hope make us a better soul after. Uh, the life experience. I think that's wonderful. So I will pass it on to Hava. Thank you, Alessandra. I really enjoyed and can't wait to learn more about the idea of the layers of the divine spark within us um, and that 
even in the divine in itself, there are layers of the consciousness, I guess, of, of God within us. And that is amazing to me. Um, And that's all I'm going to say for now, because my head is spinning in a really good way. I, I so enjoyed today. Um, Fami, would you like to share? Uh, thank you. Good morning, everyone. So, nothing to share today. I mean, my thought goes with the uh, Chava. I mean, I felt when my dad passed, like last year, it's like what is? It's like you become like an orphan, right? And it's a strange word. It's a word which you don't know. That's what I felt. I felt like in a space which I don't know, a new situation, a new status, let's say, which I'm not used to. And it's hard. Yes, thank you. So my, my thought goes with Chaba again, and uh, and uh, thank you, uh, Ilana. Hi, I don't really know what to share, but um, um, I mean, my father died a long time ago when I was pregnant with our youngest daughter, and it was a kind of it was a difficult period, but I I felt that kind of his legacy lived on through our youngest. And I mean, I don't think of him every day, it's many, many years, but when I do certain things, like if I go cross country skiing, um, he's with me, you know, like there are certain things that just trigger good memories. And in a way I feel that that's, you know, always keep, keeps him alive. And in my heart. Yeah. Uh, did anybody not speak, Julian? Uh, thank you. Um, I'm slightly stopping that when we asked questions earlier, I thought that was the nugget section. <laughs> that was, um, so the only thing I can really uh, when you said about the things I missed that I'd have to do on the recording is um the I found it useful the uh uh the stuff about the recycling and the clarification of that sort of everything recycles so the more physical levels of the soul in a uh a certain way in a physical way and the more abstract higher more close to god levels uh, abstract uh, sorry uh, recycle in a more uh, you might say abstract way or uh, easier to understand in a, in a in a divine or god sense way sort of to do with god it, it, it recycles uh, but the physical things recycle to do with physical each to its own nature and and generally the way that the thing it, it helps organize things so things that I maybe have heard bits and pieces, not necessarily from Jewish sources, because uh, I did like hear about NEDs at a younger age in a book by Betty E.D. called uh, Embraced by the Light. So little fragments of things I've heard and maybe have internalised or formed. And, and I, I think, Julian, what you're saying, you know, understanding of yeah. but not in a unified way. 
I, I, I didn't I, hear what you said, Rabbi. I said I think what you're saying is correct. That I'm I'm happy to be able to share it from a Jewish perspective, which so often the sources that we find and what people talk about, even many people within the Jewish community, are either uh, are, are are non-Jewish sources. So I, one of the things that I've really spent the past few months preparing for this deep dive, um, really looking at a lot of the sources that we know, things that are familiar to us, but a lot of Jewish sources that are really not known. So I'm excited about sharing over the next number of weeks uh, you know, what I found, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to see what, what all of you will, uh, will, will say of it, because it's something that is not spoken about enough, or, or at all, especially in, in a class like this. So I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. With that, I wish you a, uh, uh, a wonderful week, as many of you I know are off. So a happy, uh, a happy upcoming new year. And with New Year comes resolution, but it shouldn't be just a resolution that is just, you know, typical New Year resolution, but it should be a practical something that we take on of change and of growth. So l'chaim to all of you and uh, to be continued next week. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you, Rabbi. And everybody. Bye. 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 Happy Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Rabbi. Thank you. Happy New Year. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.